I guess I'm going first. You are first and foremost. So why don't we dive right in this way when uh, you got to go, you can take off. Dude, but we don't have a cold open. Uh, no, we don't. Say something funny. Uh, hyperbole. Back to the band. Everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro and that is Dr. Bill Robinson. Where? Right behind you. Oh, oh my God. Well, that was a pretty big shadow behind me, so it'd be a time travel kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I think if I was a t- time travel, you know, and I went back in time, I'd probably be like, ah, screw him, let him figure it out on his own. If you could travel back, is that what you do? I would yeah, tell myself, like, uh, uh, like, at least from a comic collecting point of view, I would say, screw going after newer stuff, concentrate on the old, <laughs> and get some original art. Yeah. Plastics, my boy, plastics. So, Wait, what? It's the graduate. graduate. Uh, so, you've been busy lately, huh? Yeah, yeah, work's been uh, a downer. Just been a little busy. Your your work is a downer, so I have to find guest stars. Yeah, I know, I know. And we have our other infrequent hosts. So me and and Scott are both the infrequent hosts. Well, in defense of Scott this time around, uh, we were supposed to record last night, all three of us, and Bill and I both had to beg off. So Scott was ready, willing, and able but I guess he wasn't ready, willing, and able to do a solo show. Uh, you know, he was probably like, ah, yeah, good, good. <laughs> now I can I can go back to sleep or I can... Everything's working out just as I had planned. It's my, my elaborate scheme. <laughs> kill your podcasting partner and take your place at my side. <laughs> so what do you got today, Bill? I you got a book. We got a book. I, I get a hear book. Tell. I have a book, believe it or not, and I got a little discussion. Um, I guess maybe we could do some discussion before. I'm bringing 2007's The Immortal Iron Fist number one, and I garnered not Scott garnered, but uh, gained an interest in this after watching the recent season of. Um, Iron Fist on Netflix, which I know you have not seen yet. I have not, but I am so behind on these that I am going to give you free reign to. Uh, well, no, I will. Away. I will not spoil. I will not spoil anything for you. I, I will just say that some things happen in this book, and I'm not even going to say where in the season. But there are. Um, it seems to me that. A lot of this season of Iron Fist has probably come out of this storyline. I have not read this whole storyline. I've only had time to pick up the first issue. Um, but there's uh, certain characters that pop up that are, uh, or mentioned, maybe not necessarily pop up, but are m- mentioned in the in the current season. And unfortunately, as of this recording, it was announced on Netflix that uh, they canceled both season three of Iron Fist and Luke Cage. However, I do not hold any real, uh, you know, I don't, I think that's just because Disney is going to regroup and pull them in-house in their own streaming service. And probably re, they may not be able to use the Iron Fist and Luke Cage monikers because of property maybe issues with netflix so what of course what do you think they would do paul heroes for hire there you go that's you know, i think I they mean, might do that even if they do have the total right to to do it you know to pull it and do it themselves and I, i'm not so sure that they would hamper themselves that they don't have the rights at this point i think they're pretty 
you know, they're pretty on top of things now. I think they, they are, you know, having had to deal with losing the rights to Spider-Man for so long and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, I think they're pretty savvy about it now. And I would imagine right. that the contract they have with Netflix uh, gives them the total right to pull it back again if, if you know, if, if they're not actively producing any series. Well, Netflix has had the rights um, to Star Wars, you know, to the new Star Wars movies and uh, the Marvel movies that have been coming out. Uh, but I'm sure that's going to expire probably probably right in time or close to when they start when disney starts its streaming service i don't know i haven't seen any dates i haven't looked for any dates so they may be out there i just it's you know i'll worry about it when it happens you know it seems like everybody and his brother now wants to do their own streaming service and i'm not gonna you know pay for all for like four or five different yeah, ones but that's the problem right now i pay for uh, amazon prime and netflix Mm-hmm. I don't see myself footing the bill for another one as long as I'm also still paying for cable. Uh, so I, I really, you know, my, my thought is that at some point they have to come up with a cable type deal where you package some of these services. And maybe you have that instead of cable. Maybe, you know, maybe it's combined with cable. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I know the Verizon system here actually has a channel for Netflix. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. so I wouldn't be surprised if, and and there was I think it was a few. Well, how does that work? If you signed up with them, you actually got a free year of Netflix. Well, there's well, some you, phone co- companies like I think T-Mobile and AT and T are partnering up with like Hulu and Amazon and and maybe Netflix. You get that free for you know with your phone, right? With with your so service, I, I, I could see that becoming part of the cable deal where you know you're subscribing to the premium services as part of your monthly cable bill. Uh, and the way that the way the channel works is, if you t- tune into that channel, it then asks you for your uh, username and password. Mm. And I guess you know you could leave it signed in, and then you you know you just have that as a channel. Now, does it ask for your Netflix or your cable password? Uh, the the Netflix password. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because I I sometimes watch. Um, I have uh, Frontier, but I don't have cable anymore. But other people do, and I can sometimes watch uh, certain things that you know. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but uh, this is not a Netflix discussion. This is a The Immortal Iron Fist, Volume One, Number One from 2007. So, now, I, meeting- just just for what it's worth, I was reading this, I think, very shortly after it came out because I picked up, I think, the first three trade paperbacks of this series. And, you know, pretty much as they were coming out. So I, I was reading this as it came out, but I have not read it since it was new. Oh, so you have more familiarity with this than I do. But I don't remember what happened, honestly. Ah. So we're, so by the time you actually see, if you get around to watching Iron, uh, Iron Fist Season 2, we'll Which kind I of will do eventually. The, I mean, I just Well, so we're kind of coming at this from the exact opposite ends of the spectrum. You read the comics... And then you're going to watch the season, and I've watched the season, and now I'm going to read the comics. So, And yeah. if I had a memory of the comics, it would probably be useful. Well, I mean, it might jar some things. So, so anyway, uh, our book came out in... Uh, its cover date is January 2007. Its on-sale date was November 22nd, 2006. Cover price of two ninety nine. Uh, it is the uh, the cover is kind of a stark. It's got instead of like a solid white, we've got like a half of a white strip and then like another quarter white strip with a picture of a, like a dark darkish looking citadel of Kunlun or possibly Hydra. I think it's Kunlun though. And in front of that stands. Um, uh, Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, in a Iron Fist-like pose, of course, with his uh, shorts and his re- regular headdress, with his fist pulled back, lit up, ready to punch you in the face. And the cover was done by David Aja. Our writer is Ed Brubaker. Interior artist is also David Aja. Letter is Dave Lampfear. 
and colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. And I do not have any notes or written synopsis, so this is old school, Dr. Bill. Wait, 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 come back, come back. Oh, they all left, Paul. Well, to sum up briefly, we basically have... <laughs> yeah, briefly. <laughs> no, no, I'm going to be brief. We have three little vignettes, I'll just say. The uh, the opening one takes place in uh, Bei Ming Tang, Tang, Ting Tang, you know, pronunciation, somewhere in China. Um, in tw- in 1227 AD, and there is a uh, uh, the Iron Fist stands ready before the hordes of Genghis Khan as they approach. So that's uh, that's one iron, and this is in the Kunlun Mountain Range. So this is actually be closer to what it would be Tibet, because that's where Kunlun's kind of is, isn't it? I think so. I believe, yeah. So basically, all we ha- all, all that happens here is. Uh, the Iron Fist of the time is going through a, a rice field, and he stands in the field ready to fight the hordes of Genghis Khan. With a birdcage on his head. With a birdcage on his head, yes. And then we cut to present day Marvel Universe 2006, where Danny Rand is fighting off Hydra. And he, in, in this during this fight, has a flashback to his father uh, taking them... Oh, yes, that is Kunlun. Uh, with them, you know, basically them failing to reach the city the wolves being you know eating them i i attacking them which i believe we covered in another episode of back to the bins a little while ago i remember we discussed that we did that as our uh was that our iron score score episode yes okay that's right so and maybe i missed something uh, then the john byrne guys oh that's right that's right Maybe I missed something then that uh, is was Danny's father back then taking them to Kunlun or were they just searching for it? Because it's alluded in his discussion here that it's his father that was trying to get them there. If I remember right, it was his father who was the driving force behind them going. But I don't remember if I think it was something where it was like he had heard about this place. But, you know, didn't really have any uh, experience with it. Hmm. Yes, see, see, because in his flashbacks, he's saying to to himself, he's like, uh, I am the Iron fat Fist, I hold fast, <laughs> I am the Iron Fist, I hold back the storm when nothing else can. He says, but it should have been you, Father, this was to be your legacy, not mine. But you returned to the world instead to build an empire I now run and start a family. This was the world you choose, and now I'm what you would have be would have been if you had if you had if you hadn't been knocked from your path. And that so that was something I wasn't aware of um, in the story of Iron Fist was that you know what he's saying here is that his father would have been Iron Fist and not him. So he stole it. Wow, apparently Comet has something to say about that. So, you know, it's fight, 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 fight. And then we Danny has another flashback to when he defeated the dragon and shoved his fists in, 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 into it to, be, you know, gain the power of the Iron Fist, cut back to um, Hydra again. They're beginning to get a little bit of the upper hand. He was caught off guard, but then he flashes back to maybe what was maybe earlier in the day to where there's a business deal going down where a a Wago Industries from China once ran to invest into a or they want to spend 10 billion dollars on a train uh, you know like a rail system and but Danny's like no something doesn't right I'm not going for it and of course he gets smacked in the head by Jaron Hogarth which up until now I was I hadn't paid any attention this is uh, this is a long time kick a long time character in the Iron Man mythos, Iron Man, Iron Fist mythos. But I was only aware of this character from the recent Netflix series to where what what's her name plays Jaron Hogarth, a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's yeah, I don't, rem- I don't remember. Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss plays yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, in um, 
prominently in the Jessica Jones series. So, so we had a little gender swap for that, but that's cool. I like both characters. Anyway, he smacks uh, Danny in the back, back of the head. You know, it's like great. You know, great job. You're trying to run our business into the ground, but so they've got a little bit of a difference of opinion. You know, because one one guy's like, you know, we're here. I'm here to you know to run your business. You know, we need to make money. You need to choose your priorities. So then we cut to where Danny is going to investigate Wago Industries, but it looks a little fishy. There's there's these offices, but it all looks like it's staged. And as he's searching through, then you see all the Hydra guys appear behind him. And then we get caught back up to the current fight to where they pull out the like a giant mechanical looking spider machine called the, the Mechagorgon. And basically, it pretty much takes Danny out, or appears to, and he falls off the building. And we cut again to Bangkok, Thailand, to our third little vignette. And I, I believe this takes place in current time. And these two women, who you're not really sure if they're assassins slash prostitutes slash private investigators, are uh, going. Um, actually being um, coerced to look for a certain person by a gentleman named Davos who is in the Iron Man series is um, darn it I keep saying Iron Man the Iron Fist series Davos was Danny's friend in Kun Loon who they both fought each other for the power of the Iron Fist uh, but Danny won out so Davos's character is seen here he plays like I said a prominent role in uh in the series, not going to give you any spoilers, but um, these two women approach this door. There's this old man there. They they come in and attack, and he deflects their uh, uh, breaks their blades with his fists. Mm. And they both kind of say, "It is he! It is he!" And he's like, "Who sent you? One who will have your heart." And then they disappear from their clothes and appear to be two type two storks, and fly out the window. Huh? And it's not weird at all. No. And then he goes, ah, no, damn it. This isn't supposed to be my life anymore. It was supposed to be over. And we see his shirt open, and he has the the Kunlun dragon tattoo on his, his chest. And it says, Orson Rand, Iron Fist, circa 1915, last scene, 1933, to be continued. So I don't want to give away anything from this season. But uh, what drove me out to read this was was after that season was finished, I was like, well, I got to see who's what what's going on here. So, yeah, I mean, I guess what this series did to my memory is it created the legacy of Iron Fist instead of just having him be the Iron Fist. Right. He's now one in a line of Iron Fists. He's not the Iron Fist. He's a Iron Fist or an Iron Fist. One of the Iron Fists. Iron Fistesses. Fisties. Festivities. And I don't remember what, what the deal is with uh, with Owen and, you know. Owen! I, 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 don't, I don't recall. I have no idea what's going on here with the storks. That's just weird. Yeah, because I... I don't I was... know if they give you an explanation for it or not, honestly. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It was weird because when I was reading it, I was like, oh, okay, all right, what? And then I had to go back a page. What happened to them? Wait, they turned it. What? Huh? Oh, they turned into birds. What the heck? Well, that's that's not weird at all. That's a comic book. We'll let it go. So, yeah, we're given the, you know, so now, now we have at least two other um, sightings of the Iron Fist. But I guess it would make sense because they said that Iron Fist is the protector of Kung Loon. Obviously, he's not going to be there only, you know, once. You know, it's like a it's a generational thing. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And the whole Kung Loon thing is, uh, I think it's you know, I think they have hard and fast rules, but I don't remember you know how how frequently Kung Loon appears. And you know what? Well, what like exactly every... you have to do to be the Iron Fist? I mean, we did read that one issue of Marvel Team Up where the whatever it is, Silver Serpent or whatever his name is, steals the Iron yeah. Fist power from him. 
So it's it's not you know unique to his body. It can be taken from him, which you know would lend itself to the theory of the legacy Iron Fist. But then how do you have two at the same time? Oh, okay, so I I was close. I thought it appeared every like nineteen years, but it's saying it it appears roughly every fifteen years, give or take, depending on the. Uh, okay, yeah, about every fifteen years apparently is when it appears. Which would kind of time right with uh, Danny's disappearance and such, and reappearance. Because he was about, what, 10 when he disappeared? 10 or 9, so, you know, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. so he's in his early right. to mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that works. Yeah. The art's kind of, um, it's obviously stylistic. But it's like three different styles in the course of this book. Yeah, I could have swore there was, uh, we had a different artist for the other pages. But it's, um, yes, yes, we did have Travel Foreman and Derek Friedolf, so the artist for pages one through three. Which, yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a hard, you know, that's a hard break in the art. Yeah. One through three looks like what you'd see in an indie book, but but good. I mean, it's not that I don't like it. I, I think it. Looks- yeah, there's it. It brings to mind an uh, an old um, samurai type book I read a long time. Was it Wolf and Cub? I think I read a long time ago, back in the eighties or nineties. There was an indie book that, that this this artwork reminds reminds me of that a little bit. Although I think it was black and white, but it still has the same tone to it. And then, then with the, I like that opening shot of uh, Rand fighting Hydra. Yeah, that's a nice shot. Some good detail. I mean, the rain looks really good in it. Oh yeah, that that's a lot of that's a <laughs> that's a lot of work there for all those those raindrops. Yeah, detail on the uh, the rifles that these guys are carrying. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really nice... Well, it's actually a double splash. Yeah. But then uh, when you get to the point where where you kind of have the flashback, it's like the style changes again. And it gets... At least the inking in it does, where it gets much, much darker and very, very thick lines mm-hmm. uh, up until the point when Owen is uh, revealed. Uh, and I'm not... I don't like that as much stylistically as I like the fight with Hydra and the meeting and all of that. Right. I mean, it's the same artist and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not quality, but. I just well, it's, it's done in different good. times of uh, it's, it's done in different settings because, you know, cause he's outside, you know, what's nice is that they maintain when, when Danny goes, uh, when he sneaks into the office, he's, and you don't always see this, you know, a character comes in from out of the rain in a movie, they'll usually maintain a continuity and the character will be wet. Well, they actually drew him wet while he's going searching through the office. He has water mm-hmm. on, his, on, his, on, his, on his head, on his arms, dripping from him. You know, it's a nice little touch. Yeah, it is. Uh, some of the faces look to me like they're probably photo-referenced. I can't tell you what the, what the source is, but... They don't look like they're just drawn freehand. Yeah, Jaron Hogarth especially. Maybe not not too sure about Danny Rand. What about but... Luke, Luke Cage? Oh, you mean further on? Yeah, yeah. Not sure oh, who that's that matter, uh, what is it, Colleen Wing and uh, Pam and Greer. Misty Knight. Pam Greer. <laughs> that's not Pam Greer. But that's that who does, I, look, that's who that Misty does Knight look like Lauren Holly as... Um, Colleen Wing. Is that supposed to be Colleen Wing or is that Jessica Jones? Um, I was thinking it was Colleen Wing, but it has to be Jessica Jones. In fact, Mm. I think this predates Jessica Jones and Luke Cage being a couple. Mm. Uh, I think, uh, what's it called? Misty Knight Knight looks uh, like Diana Ross, like a young Diana Ross. Mm. Got the big hoop earrings. Oh, well, you know that. That right 
right next to that page with uh, with Misty Knight. Um, that little, you see the red square. I almost thought that that was some type of art goof, but then I realized what it was doing. It was pointing out where the blade of the Mechagorgon hits Danny in the leg and cuts him. I don't. I don't understand the why it was done. The artistic intent, though. Well, because it's done again in a in in a in a fashion when um, um, Orson Randall breaks the blades. There's a circle. Yeah, I see what you're talking about. I I still don't understand it though. I, I mean, I guess they're trying to get your eye to focus on it, but. From a visual point of view, I think it's more like a from from watching a lot a lot of anime that would be like a like when a certain character would take a would get struck or hit they would zoom in and the lighting would change when they get struck so this would be a way to do that inside a panel but not actually have to draw a whole another panel and just do one close up of the blade hitting the leg this way your eye you see the whole picture then you're drawn into the square and it's almost like you're zooming in by looking at the square like 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 it's a like it's not a cheat but it's like it almost makes it seem like it's animated that you're like wait what why is that oh and you're drawn in and you see the close-up and so you only see the red square um well at least that's what i think they're going for that's the way. I get what you're saying. I'm understanding it, and I don't think you're wrong. I just don't think I like that effect. Well, it's only done here in the two times when um, Orson breaks breaks the blades. Is the only two uh, spots that I that I see that technique used. Yeah, I just don't like the technique. I'm not. Oh, I'm not. Okay. Not giving it the thumbs up. <laughs> thumb sideways or. Thumbs down. Thumbs down. I, Thumbs I don't down. like it. I think it's distracting. Instead ah. of focusing me on it, it's distracting me. You're just a curmudgeon. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. So really, there's not a lot to this book. No, it's it's definitely in the written for the trade age. Which is why I was able to synopsize it so quickly. And for that, we are thankful to uh, hey, hey. that fraction. <laughs> but I do remember, you know, even when I was reading it, it was it was fairly engrossing, uh, and it did make me want to read more. And it, it is it is a good example of a made-for-the-trade book, because when you read this in six-issue chunks, it doesn't feel so empty. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, six issues... And, you know, what they charge per issue, it's a lot to ask for yeah. as little movement in the story as you get. Yeah, it's almost worth it just to wait for the trade. Which is like exactly what more. I was doing at the time. Right. So, well, I guess I'm going to, uh, are we just going to grade it together or do some individual? Eh, I'll let you grade and then I will follow up. All right, cover. Um, it's a nice picture. Don't know if it totally draws me in. I want to give it a C plus or a B minus. It's not bad art, but it's not like you know. Wow, I gotta have this. Um, the interior, uh, even though we have two different artists, um, I'm going to give it overall a B plus. Uh, I like the little anime trick of making you zoom in. I like the the darkness, the detail. Like I said, the other stuff about you know showing him being wet coming in from the rain. Um, almost like there's also what is the uh, the one where they got the sp- there's a there's a shot where there's these like spirals. It reminds me of the Steve Ditko era. That's on page what is it, page eight of the art. He's fight, fighting on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. Uh, reminds me more of Jim Steranko. Stranko, Stranko, thank you. No, that I met Stranko, not Ditko. No, 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 you said Ditko. I said Ditko, but I was wrong. I know you were wrong, but you said Ditko. 
Look, you you're can stuck keep your saying, you can keep your hyperbole as, to yourself, buddy. You're stuck arguing as to why that looks like Ditko now. Anyway, I'm going to give the the uh, a B, and the story I'm going to give it a B as well. So it's it's a B minus for me. Okay, <laughs> I like the cover. I think it's a good first issue cover because it's kind of got a poster image, but it's dark and intriguing. Um, I'm going to say a B for the cover. The interior art, I actually like that first three pages better than I like the rest of it. Uh, but I like the fight with Hydra more than I like the interior scenes and the flashback or the Owen... Uh, Randall scenes, so I'm going to say it's so at some points intentionally so, but at some points not so much, but inconsistent just the same. Um, I'm going to say a C plus on the art. And as far as the story goes, we we didn't have a lot happen here. Uh, this is this is this feels like a prologue to a story. Mm. And but it does set it up well, and it made me want to read more, and I did. And like I said, I think this is a book that's better served by reading it in big chunks instead of an issue at a time, or you know, and several issues in each sitting is the best way to go about this one. Uh, that said, just basing it on the single issue, I'm going to just say a C plus on it, but I think it improves in when you read it in bulk. So. Overall, I'm going to give this as a one-issue uh, rating. I'm going to give it a uh, B minus. Okay. And that'll Ready? do it for the Immortal Iron Fist. So I brought to the table. Where is it? You bought a you brought a book that's newer. <gasps> yeah, I, I didn't go that old. I went with with a book that came out in what is the date on this? April of 2016. No wonder Scott was so dejected in his text. It is titled The Coming of the Supermen. And it is... The the cover is by Neil Adams. And it shows Superman standing heroically front and center with three people in Superman uniforms flying in the air behind him. Uh, Overall as I'm going to say with much of the art in this book, it feels like a good layout that isn't really finished that well. Uh, the interior art is by Neil Adams. The story is by Neil Adams and Tony Bedard, inked by Neil Adams, colored by Alex Sinclair, and lettered by Seda Tempfante. <coughs> Excuse me. And I'm going to read you a pre-canned synopsis from uh, DC Wiki. Wiki, wiki, wiki. Lois Lane reports from the GBS News Channel that the parademons, led by Calabac, son of Darkseid, are attacking LexCorp. Both ordinary cops and Lex Luthor's own private army are quickly outmatched. At the same time, a Kryptonian spacecraft crash lands into an Iowa farmland. Its three occupants, Kryptonians dressed in outfits similar to Superman's, fly to Metropolis and engage the parademons. Meanwhile, Superman is in the Middle East, protecting a family of refugees from missile strikes. Just as he saves a boy named Rafi and his dog Issa, a winged creature appears before them. This messenger says he is not here to fight, but Superman goes on the offensive. So the messenger briefly stops time around Superman and talks to Rafi, saying he is to be put under Superman's care. As Superman comes to his senses, the messenger asks him to take care of Rafi. Reluctantly, Superman agrees, and the messenger tells him to return to Metropolis, for an important event will occur there. Clark returns to the Daily Planet, taking Rafi and Issa as visitors. As the boy quickly befriends Jimmy Olsen, Clark watches Lois report the news about the Kryptonian newcomers and the Parademon attack. Superman quickly enters the fight, wondering why is Calabac suddenly interested in LexCorp. Lex refuses to answer Superman's questions, and Superman quickly defeats the Parademons, forcing them and Calabac to retreat through a boom tube. The new Kryptonian heroes are amazed by Superman's efforts, but Superman spots the messenger, who has come to take Superman to the time of ancient Egypt. There, they watch hundreds of 
workers constructing a sphinx in the image of their ruler, Darkseid. Superman is confused as to why Darkseid is the ruler of Egypt, but the messenger replies that it is not Darkseid, but is progenitor. Superman wants more information, but the messenger says this is a mystery Superman must solve on his own. Should he fail, he will lose everything. Dun, 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 dun. What is this guy, the watcher of the DC Universe? I'm yes. going to show you some things that I can't explain anything. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has that feel about him. And just, you know, having covered the first two issues uh, of Superman uh, Doomsday Hunter Prey, we still have to get to that third one, but having covered the first two and then with the Time Travelers or the Wave Riders or whatever they're called, and then pulling that same crap, it's like, you know... <laughs> We don't need more watchers in the world. <laughs> How about some explainers? Yeah, exactly. You got some explainers to do. So, uh, I find Neil Adams as a writer is not terrible, but he's not. He's also not great. He writes stuff that can be fairly easily dismissed and, you know, just left out of continuity. Hmm. What's beeping? Okay, whatever it is, stopped. Hopefully, it's not my car. Uh, so, you know, it, it's. I, I find it's interesting to read, but it's just kind of like once you put it down, you don't need to. You don't need to retain any memory of it. Uh, like it's kind of like a. Um... The equivalent of a popcorn movie. It's like a popcorn comic book. You read it, you're done with it. You probably yeah. don't really need to go back and watch it again. Yes. It was and enjoyable for the moment, but it had no real substance. <laughs> you're hitting it on the head. <laughs> now, the the artwork is interesting because I look at the pencils, or I look at the, you know the, the general pencils, and it really doesn't look to me like Neil Adams has lost much in the years that he's... You know that have passed since his his heyday. Well, yeah, because uh, we're talking. Wow, I mean, fifty some odd years, or at least forty something. Well, no, I mean, you figure he did the early since the nineteen seventies. I would uh, say in the late sixties, early seventies. I'm gonna say the late sixties because that's when he was. I remember him doing the X Men. The uh, like this. Yeah, that was around nineteen seventy. No. You, you sure? And, you go ahead and disagree with me and look it up while I keep talking here. So it looks to me like, I will. The, like the uh, like the layouts and the actual drawings look to me to, to have the same kind of quality that I've always expected from Neil Adams. But I don't care for him inking himself. Uh, he's very quick to just leave things looking a little rough. Uh, I guess preserving the image of the penciled page but unfortunately making it look unfinished to me. You know, the whole idea of the inker is to, to give it that finished, polished look. And it looks to me like he, he fails to do that in here. I also don't think the colorist really did him a lot of favors here because a lot of the colors aren't very subtle in the way that they're uh, broken down. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, stark, even when you have, like, uh, I'm just looking at... at the other supermen uh, on their faces. There isn't a gradual change from shadow to light. It's just kind of all or nothing. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I think the artwork is hurt. I think if, if you just had this book in its original pencils, I think it would it would really look much nicer than what well, we got if, as a Well, if you look product. at the cover, um, the... Yeah, they, it, they give you a penciled copy of the cover. Yeah, there's a penciled copy of... The cover, and you can see, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. It it pops more without the color, without the color. It's it just it it looks better. Oh, and uh, Neil Adams first looks like his first Marvel work was in May 1969, X Men 56. And when did he finish on the X Men? I don't know. February 1970. Okay, so he was there for both, 1969 and 70. 
but his uh, like his first credited work was with was in 1967. So as an artist, mm-hmm. you know, it's so when he it's, first it's, started, I, I I think I said in his prime years, right? So, but uh, but right, I think I said yeah. 50 years, right, so 67. All right, 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 right. 2007, 17, 50 years, was, yeah, 50 years. pre Skull War was 71, 72. Yeah. But we'll just ignore all of that. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're here talking about. We're talking about this no. book. Now, the story is kind of, it feels all over the map. And I think I read the first three issues of this miniseries. And I, I meant to read it all, but I didn't get beyond that. And it is a six-issue series. So I'm about halfway done with it. And and it was interesting reading, but again, you know, kind of like that popcorn movie thing. You don't feel like you're reading anything of tremendous substance. Uh, it made me want to read more, and yet I found that I didn't, which is interesting. I'm kind of – it's got me curious as to this is, – is this um... – Darkseid's, this is Darkseid's dad? That's what it, they're saying. Hmm. Hmm. So it, it, it feels like, you know, because of that kind of thing, it feels like it could be an issue with some substance to it, you know, or a series that has some substance to it, because they could be giving us a history with that. Um, but I still don't think we really get any serious history. And I hate the way he's drawn when, when he's got the Sphinx hat on. Yeah, I, I mean, I do have a nitpick though. It seems like, uh, well, I mean, I'm again, I can't judge it by you know my drawing talent. I'm not an artist, but it seems like his depictions of aliens and non-humans is better because we have no conceived, we have no set you know idea of what they should look like because I really don't like like Superman. Uh, maybe I mean the last page isn't bad, but the few other pages, just a few of the shots in general. Uh, like the, there's one with the three supermen on the same page, and they just don't look right as the human beings or the the humanoid people don't look right. Where but the close up of Lex Luthor pointing with his finger out, now that one's really good and detailed. But some of these other ones just look I don't know like unfinished, rushed. Well, the, the three Supermen, the way they're drawn from panel to panel, uh, I hate to always use the same word, but it looks inconsistent. Mm. Uh, except for the fact that they draw them, you know, you have a, a dark-skinned Superman, you have a... Uh, like a I, redhead? You have a Jimmy Olsen Superman, and then you have a younger Clark Kent Superman. But they don't look the same from panel to panel, the only way you distinguish them is the color of their hair and the color of their skin. Their faces yeah. look different from panel to panel. The one you're talking about where it shows all three of them, the uh, the one in the middle looks very young, but when they first appear, he looks significantly older. Well, no, I mean, I mean, well, because there's two shots of the three of them. There's one like towards the beginning of the book, and that actually looks pretty good. But there's another one towards the end of the book with the three of them, like kind of in this that I, they, it doesn't look as good almost like he kind of got rushed towards the end of the book it looks like some of the, the the detail just breaks down i mean he's not a young man so i mean you know uh, maybe he was just i i don't know i feel bad being nitpicky with neil adams well I, like i said i still like the pencils oh yeah but there's there's still kind of like Kind of like sometimes uh, a criticism of John Byrne is that a lot of people say, well, his characters always seem to look alike. Mm-hmm. I kind of see that here, too. And yet I'm seeing spots where the same characters look different from panel to panel. But they still have the same, like, especially around the eyes and the mouth. He likes to reuse the same. Well, you know, Gil Kane would do the same thing with shots of people with upturned noses. So I guess it's just a stylistic thing. I guess I'm being too uh, too picky. Yeah. Yeah. Shut You're up. Fun of Neil Adams. It's the greatest ever, man. What's wrong with you? 
Yeah. See how you draw. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not a matter of being able to draw better. It's a matter of just critiquing what we see in front of us and, mm-hmm. and how it appears to us. It's, it's not a kind. Like I like. I like the alien guy that talks to Superman. I think he's got a cool design. Yes. Uh, you know, every time he's drawn, he's he just looks really cool, especially on the last page. You know, he's got those weird jaw things coming out of the side of his face, and he's got well, he's got these like horns at the bottom and horns at the top. These red eyes. Oh. Yeah, I definitely think he looks cool. Sorry, I'm I'm being summoned, but we have time. Uh, yeah, well, we could finish this issue, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, Calabac looks okay, I think. Uh, but I, I, like I said, it, to me, the the inking just doesn't look finished on it. Uh, it, it looks like he did, like he, he kind of rushed through the inking and uh, and said, "Okay, quick, color it." Mm. That is kind of a, uh, I'd say, a Kirby homage to Calabac. Yeah, maybe. With his opening shot. With all the... Yeah, the... I, I, I would say that that's very possibly uh, aping a little Kirby in that shot. Kind of with the, uh, when when the three supermen are in their, uh, in their spacesuits in the ship, that's got a bit of a... Maybe not a lot of Kirby tech, but it's got a... It's a weird view, too, because we're seeing it from, like... You're looking at a floor, like a transparent floor, looking up at them sitting in those... In their suits or whatever. In suits. In, there's my super suit. So... I also like that they distinguish that the, uh, the Superman, having not used their powers for long don't have the same ability to fight as, as Superman does because they don't have the experience. Right. I, I think that's, you know, that's an important distinction to make. When did Lois Lane, like, step out of the 50s with her outfit she's wearing? <laughs> she's got the high the high shirt collar with the brooch around her neck and, like, the like the, like the the suit on and everything. It's like Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> Chief! And uh, this this whole thing with with this kid Issa, uh, it's it's a nice little subplot, but the way they play it out, it's like how could Jimmy not know that Clark is Superman? <laughs> it just seems you know too obvious. Duh. I'm I'm thinking Issa's going to play some role in this whole thing. I would imagine in the resolution. Yeah. At some point. He's he's gonna actually go back, or he's gonna be like a pharaoh or something. If I I haven't read ahead, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I read three issues, and and that isn't made clear at that point. But maybe in the fourth, mm. fifth, and sixth issue, that's all laid out for us. Mm. All right. I mean, there's not that much to talk about here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it was like the last one. Even though there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot more art in here. It moves pretty quick because a lot of it is just fighting. There's there's a fight, couple fight, fight fight fight. Exactly. There's a couple and scratchy show. Show. So what you rating? All right. So the cover. I kind of like the layout. I like the art on it. Uh, I think once again, I think he's a little bit of a victim to the coloring because I think there's just too much blue. I think the blue sky behind that's the it, yeah, yeah, really just draws your attention away from them. It makes the whole cover just kind of look like one big blob instead of having the individual uh, heroes stand out. Yeah, had, they should had, use a different color for that. Yeah, they needed to do something a little different with that, and that hurts it. If not for that, I think it's a pretty good drawing. So I think it had the potential to be a B plus, but instead it's a B minus. The interior art, I really, I like the pencils a lot. I don't like the inking at all. Uh, And I think the coloring is like just almost too computerized. So I'm also going to say a B minus on the interior art. Uh, The story... It's a quick read. I enjoyed it. Uh, 
And I kind of flew through it, but I did want to read more. So I'm going to say a B plus on the story. And overall, I'll just give the book a B. Hmm. Uh, I was noticing, because uh, uh, wasn't it Neil Adams back in the day kind of was one of the first people that started like break the borders of panels? Yeah. Yeah, he does that all over this book. I mean, but it's, well, I don't want to say all over, but he he does it and like at certain points that it's like, oh yeah, okay, that's right. It kind of makes me remember, that's right, Neil Adams was the one that kind of started this. So, you know, people like running from one panel, like out of the top, you know, the bottom of a panel or extending into the next one. But uh, uh, so, yeah, the cover, yeah, it, it, if it had a little bit of a change in the color scheme, I think it would be a little bit better. The black and white is really much better. Um, so the cover is a B, the interior. It's nice to see 50 years on. Neil Adams still still has some game. Um, but like you said, it probably, it just, it still looks a little, it's still, there's a little something missing from it. Um, but I'm still going to give it like a C plus B minus and the story, it's quick. It's a lot of fighting, raises some questions, uh, like a real head turner at the end, literally for Superman going, what? Um, I'm going to give it a C plus B minus overall B minus. All right. That's we're in the same ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So we did a relatively short episode today, but I hope everybody enjoyed it. They can't all be can't massive be tomes. Yes. Yeah. So, but, uh, I enjoyed reading these two and mm-hmm. hopefully the people enjoyed listening and, uh, I don't think we have any emails, so. Write in, let us know what you're thinking, and give us iTunes reviews, and see you next week. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Booba. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Darn, that's the end.